You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Amen. Thank you, brother. It is a joy and a gift to be with you all this morning. I had the opportunity to uh, stay at the Wolf's home and enjoyed their hospitality greatly. Um, I wish my wife, my better half, was with me today, but married for 16 years, and we have three kids, um, 11, 8, and 3, so we have a busy house, but uh, a fun house, and, uh, and it's been really, you guys have been a blessing to our family over the years. We've had a chance to come and be a part. We, as Jack mentioned, we were over at the Round Rock Church, Redemption Hill, uh, when it was planted in 2013. And I don't know if I don't know if I remember if y'all remember we had a joint service when we planted that church. So we, as a as a core group, a small church plant, got to come down here and enjoy a, a worship service together. Uh, our whole family was a part of that. The, our kids that were that were with us, I think it was, we just had our oldest at the time. But it was still such a great memory for us. It was kind of like a welcome to Sovereign Grace, particularly in Texas region, uh, to be to be a part of that. And I still remember smelling brisket the whole service. I think it was in the fellowship hall. Uh, and I, <laughs> but we love that as well. And then over the years, we've had an opportunity to come down and be a part of youth retreats that you guys have graciously hosted. I can't tell you how much those youth retreats have really built our churches together. I know it's a sacrifice for you guys to host that year in and year out, but even this year, some of our families, our new families that are new to Sovereign Grace, new to the area, got a chance to come be a part of the, the youth retreat. And not only do the youth get to connect, but the parents and the families get to connect and I think that has done more, that, that one weekend in June every year has done more to build our churches together, because now we have faces, and we know each other in relationships year after year, and so if you've volunteered, or if you've, you know, obviously given to this church, and just the way that this, you guys have been so generous to us as a region, uh, it has made a world difference in building our region together, uh, and it's just been a joy to see, now the, those, those same folks are now at the Young Adults Retreat this weekend, so that's just a lot of the fruit of those gatherings. Uh, and then also, I just bring you greetings on behalf of Christ Church. Um, we've been adopted in Sovereign Grace, as Jack mentioned, a year and a half, uh, and it's been a wonderful blessing. They were an independent Bible church, so you, you may be able to relate to some of their kind of just coming into a relationship with other churches, and they have been blown away just to get to know uh, Pearland and here and Round Rock and, and Mission City Fellowship and, and the churches around Texas. Uh, we've been able to have some of, uh, I think, Bob's been in and Josh have both been in to preach there, uh, and they've, the church has just loved them, and they are so grateful. You guys have made a huge impact for us in, in how you've sacrificed and given to our region. We were able to get a church plant through your giving, uh, and that was huge for us just to get our feet on the ground and be able to get there and get established. Uh, and in many other ways, you've prayed for us, uh, you've, you guys have loved us from afar, and we are so grateful uh, so it's a joy, and just know there's a church on the north side of Houston. Thanks, God, for you. Uh, loves you guys and prays for you. We get the opportunity to pray for you all as well. It is an honor to get to do that, and we look forward to those bonds just growing even more in the years to come. So it really is a, a privilege and a joy to be with you this morning. Well, please take your copy of God's Word, if you will. Turn to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5. We're going to be reading the first 10 verses of that incredible chapter. 
as we read this, let's always remember, this is God's word speaking to us this morning. Revelation 5, beginning at verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on a throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open this scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open this scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Well, being recent transplants over to the Houston area, we, we kind of were very familiar. We'd learned Austin very well. We'd had a chance to go do the Austin things, right? The things when everybody comes to town, you take them to go do the Austin things or, or whatever it is in Seguin around here. I think it's the burnt bean is what I've heard. Josh may have told me that. But we decided we wanted to go check out the Houston things. What are the things you do around Houston? So we've had an opportunity to do that a little bit at a time. There's a lot to take in, but a little bit at a time over, over the years. Uh, the first, these first couple of years. And one of our favorites is, I think probably maybe our favorite, has been NASA. I don't know if have, has anybody had a chance to go see? Yeah, it's, an, it's incredible, isn't it? If you ever are over that way and you get a chance, just to, it's worth taking the time to just spend. I could spend days just visiting that campus. It, it is unbelievable. They have a museum and, and a lot of artifacts and different things. You can go up and I think the, double, the, the plane, the Boeing that has the, the space shuttle that sits on top of it, it's phenomenal to be able to go visit that. And they also have just exhibits about their new missions, Artemis 
and, uh, and some of the things that are going on there now. So we've had a chance to kind of learn about that and keep up with it. I think we actually have some folks involved in it in our Paraland Church are actually uh, a very integral part of those missions. And so we've been kind of keeping up with that as now recent Houston transplants. We're keeping up. We, have no, we, don't, we don't understand any of it, but we're watching it and paying attention uh, to what they're doing. And, and this is a promo video that they released recently. I say recently. It's been out for a little while, but I saw it recently uh, about these missions in particular, the Artemis missions. And it caught my attention because, ironically, they frame these missions not so much as a scientific endeavor which it is, but they framed them as a calling, which I thought was interesting. So not only the thought process, but the heartbeat behind these missions. And this is what that video said. It said, 50 years ago, we blazed a trail to the moon. But today, our calling, which again, I thought was interesting language, is to explore even greater. To go farther, we must be able to sustain missions of greater distance and duration. We must overcome radiation, isolation, gravity, and extreme environments like never before. These are the challenges we face to push the bounds of humanity. Sounds like a Star Trek thing, doesn't it? And this is the next chapter of human space exploration. We turn towards the moon now, not as a conclusion, but as a preparation. Our greatest adventures remain ahead of us. We are going. But as well done as a video is, you know there's a difference between a video and real life, right? They, the mission itself didn't always go exactly like they were expecting it to go. The program dealt with escalating costs like so many others recently. It had setbacks, including some public ones that you may be aware of. Trying, literally trying to get off the ground was difficult. Those things tested the resolve and really the catalyst of the whole mission. They had plenty of reasons to give up along the way. But that would have gone against everything they stood for. Because the video itself, as they themselves admit, we go. That's who we do. That's who, that's who, what we do, rather. That's who we are. We are those who go. And I believe there's a ton of parallels between that vision and the substantially more compelling vision that we have before us in our passage today. As you probably are aware, John is speaking to churches who are dealing with their own version of spiraling costs and earthly setbacks. In their mission to take the gospel to every corner of the globe, they are facing some severe tests. And that's why this book was written, to, to encourage them and to strengthen them and to help them overcome in Christ. And over these last few years, we've begun to feel something of those same tests ourselves, haven't we? We felt a few of those. We, our resolve has begun to be tested a little bit in these last few years, certainly not to the extent that some of our brothers and sisters deal with around the world and in church history, but, but we've experienced enough to know it's going to take a certain level of sacrifice and resolve if we're going to succeed in this mission. The comfortable confines that we've been able to operate in, which have been a blessing, in some ways have begun to evaporate around us. And we're being asked now to navigate obstacles and things that used to not be there. This next season could very well mean increased risks. So what do we do in response to that? 
It's easy to want to shrink back, isn't it? It's easy to kind of want to just, you know, protect a wall, a protective wall, and just, and just insulate, right? Give up, maybe. Just say, hey, we're good. We don't want to continue those risks. But that would go against everything we stand for. Because as the church of Jesus Christ, we have been called, commissioned, and sent out to complete this mission. We go. That, that's, that's what we do. That's who we are. We are those who go. In our passage this morning, it powerfully brings out two defining reasons why that's the case. And so if you're taking notes, here's the two simple points of the message this morning. The tears of John, from the first five verses, verses 1 to 5, the tears of John, that's point one, and the second point, the song of heaven, verses 6 to 10, that's the second point, the song of heaven. And as we dive into that first point, we're picking up in the midst of a heavenly scene. As you likely know, the first three chapters of Revelation, they're written to different churches that are scattered around Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And in each of the letters, Christ addresses the unique situations that each of these churches are walking through. Some of them are are trusting in earthly wealth to see them through instead of spiritual wealth. Some of them are dealing with that. Some are having temptations towards worldliness to cave to sin. Some are under threat of false teaching. Some are suffering faithfully for their faith. Together, these letters represent really almost the full spectrum, maybe the full spectrum of what we in ourselves face today. And Jesus had specific instructions, warnings, and encouragements for each one of those churches. That's the first three chapters of Revelation. And then in in chapter 4, the scene begins to shift a little bit. The scene shifts, and John sees a door opened in heaven. And he hears a voice, that an invitation calling to him, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. So that's chapter 4. We begin this heavenly vision. And chapter 5 continuing on with the symbolic imagery that Christ intends for John to first see, feel, and then convey to us. That's, that's what's going on here in chapter 5. And let me say something about the, the passion that is in apocalyptic literature. These are truth pictures meant to move us in some form or fashion. They're meant to move us. If we don't feel something from the pictures, it's supposed to evoke emotion in us. If we don't feel something from the pictures, then we haven't seen the significance of what we're looking at in the truth picture. For they're not given, these things are not given just to address our intellects, but really to appeal to our hearts as well. And it starts with this scroll that we see here in verse 1. It has writing on the front and the back. And given that it rests in the authoritative right hand of the one sitting on the throne over all thrones, we get the immediate sense that whatever is inside this scroll is pertinent, right? Highly important, very, very important to the world at large, and very, very, really important to our daily lives. It's been sealed with seven seals. Again, a highly significant detail that could have immediately perked the ears of any Hebrew background believer because most scholars believe this reference of seven seven sealed scroll taps back into a somewhat mysterious ending of the prophet Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, he writes, And there shall be a time of trouble 
such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So they were aware that there was a scroll that had been rolled up and sealed. And what he's seeing, John's seeing, is that same scroll. It's a reemergence. It's showing back up in redemption history. And it indicates that, that when Daniel rolled it up, the time has now come, has finally arrived for it to be unrolled. That's what's going on in this. The ultimate fulfillment of God's purposes and promises for his people, along with judgment on their enemies, is set to begin. This is the moment they've been looking and longing for. But there's one massive problem, and we saw it along the way, right? Verses 2 and 3. It said, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. It's been sealed up. Who's worthy? Who's worthy to open it, to break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to open the scroll or to look into it. That's the problem. And you know it's serious when not just any angel, but a mighty angel is asking who, right? He's the guy we ask for help. And he's the first one saying with a loud voice, who is worthy, right? Who is worthy? And, and so when he's, got, when he's having that, you know it's a very bad sign for the rest of us. You're the guy, right? You're the superhero. If you're asking for help, we're all in trouble, right? And the fears are well-founded because the ensuing search for an answer leaves no stone unturned. They look, in, they look everywhere, everywhere they can possibly look. That's what the language says. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. That every dimension they can look in, they have looked in and it comes up empty. It's a bit like that, that desperate feeling. You know when you have everything together to get out the door, right? There's an important meeting or whatever it is, an appointment that you have to get to, and you have everything together, and you really, really, really need to be on time for this one, and you can't find your keys. Have you ever had that experience? It, it is, how's that feeling when you're looking for your keys? It, it is something like, a mixture of frustration and just slight panic all together. And you go back and look in the same place four times, as if it might magically appear the fourth time, right? You're still looking for the keys. And every room that you go to, because you go through all the places that you would have left your keys, any, I'm like, there's no way I couldn't have left my keys. It has to be in one of these four places or five places or wherever it might be. You go look in each one, and by the time you get to the last one and you still haven't found it, you start thinking, well, maybe it's in the car, or maybe they're gone. And, and, and it begins to turn like horror and despair and giving up on life itself, right? It's an awful feeling to search frantically and not be able to find what you're looking for, that you really need. 
Well, take that sense of complete helplessness and multiply it many times over. We begin to understand what John's feeling here. He understands what it means for history and really for his own future if they can't find anyone to open the scroll. His response in verse 4 says as much. And I, even the Apostle John, the one who has all the insight, the gifting, who walked with Jesus, who, who has served Him, who has sacrificed, who is in exile for the sake of the gospel, he knows he's out of his league in this moment. And he says, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found. He wasn't raising his hand, was he? No one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And we begin to feel his tears, don't we? We begin to feel his tears. We see the awful condition of humanity. We feel the weight of our own sin apart from the gospel. And it begins to sink in for us. There is no one. There is, there is no one. And it hits us like a ton of bricks. No one is righteous. No one is powerful. No one is enduring. No one is worthy. There is no one. Humanity, including you and I, is collectively lost. And, and, and we're not theoretically lost. We're not, we're not technically lost. We aren't lost on paper. We're lost, lost. We're actually lost. That's the harsh reality we find ourselves as sons and daughters of the flesh. And it has, it has to hit home for us. We, no one is worthy. I got news this morning. Saw something from a friend of mine that I grew up with, one of my best friends. Didn't elaborate. I was a social media post, didn't elaborate. So I called my family home, my parents. I said, have you heard what's going on? They filled me in. Mind-blowing tragedy. Mind-blowing. And it hit home again. This world is lost. You know the stories. You've walked through many of them yourself, I'm sure. It hits us. There's no one. We know the tears of John, don't we? We know what it means that there is no one to open the scroll. But as we feel the reality of that, the hope of verse 5, with all of its stunning brilliance, is meets us in the midst of our tears. Verse 5 is meant to meet you in tears. It's meant to meet you in the reality of a broken, fallen world. It's supposed to hit us. We had the ton of bricks that hit us. This is an unbelievable, even greater weight. And one of the elders said to me, remember his Tears running down his face. Weep no more. Weep no more. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. Good news! And it's seven seals. Good news. Better news than we've heard all week, right? There is one who is worthy. We, here we are. We, are. we are not worthy, are we? Unworthy, sinful, helpless bystanders. And what are we getting to do? We're getting to eavesdrop on the words of heaven. And what is it that we get to hear? Is it depart from me? Now, what is it that we get to hear in this wonderful announcement? Weep no more. What, what a word, right? What a word. Well, what a proclamation for those of us who are familiar with tears. And it's meant for us this morning. It's meant for you and I. Those of us who are drowning in hopelessness and can't see any way out. These words are supposed to, to, to come to us. Weep no more. Those of us who are enslaved by fear because we, we aren't sure we've done enough to make God happy. Weep no more. Those of us who feel like we've gone so far that, that God, surely God will never forgive me. I can't even forgive myself. Weep no more. Those of us who are dreading the future and what tomorrow might bring our way. Weep no more. Heaven wants us to hear that message today. It wants you to hear that message today. And just like the elder of heaven had the opportunity, you can imagine there's, there's a bunch of elders there, right? You can imagine they were elbowing each other. It's my turn to tell them. It's my turn to be able to be the one to go share. He, he doesn't know yet. John is still crying. He, he, let me be the one. Lord, I want to be the one to be able to go tell him this message. I want him to be able to know that I, the tears can be wiped away. I want him to see who this lion is. Weep no more. What a gift to be able to go and share that message. We know the tears of John. That this first scene isn't enough, the second act is even more stunning. Our, our eyes are dried for a brief moment. And they're filled again. But this time for a very different reason. Look in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Now we remember the announcement of verse 5. John was promised a lion who had conquered, right? That's what he was promised, a lion who has conquered. That's why you don't weep anymore. But then he turns around, and what does he actually see? A lamb who has been slaughtered. What are we to make of that? That's a misrepresentation, right? False advertising, right? You, you told me I was getting a lion. I, I have a lamb. Not the same thing. This, we were, this, this moment called for a lion, not a lamb. Overpromise, underdeliver there. But then we notice a few details that seem off about this lamb. I grew up on a farm, but you didn't have to grow up on a farm to know this doesn't look like an ordinary lamb. 
You, this, is not, this, is, this is not how lambs are supposed to look, right? Even though slain, he's still standing, which seems a bit off, right? That's supposed to kind of stick out to us. Huh, that shouldn't be. And this lamb has seven horns, which seems unusual as well. Seven's the number of completeness throughout Revelation, and horns represent honor and power. And so now we begin to realize this is a lamb with complete power and authority. And he has seven eyes, which depict the omnipresent, overflowing Spirit of God, which up until this point in the book has been confined to heaven, but with the lamb's approach is now being poured out on earth, sent out into all the earth. And with these hints starting to hit home, unveil our eyes, it begins to dawn on us that this lamb is in fact the lion that was promised. He is the lion that was promised. And the way in which he has conquered was the very last thing this world would have guessed or anticipated. And what we begin to see as we stand and ponder a bloody lamb who has been sacrificed on the tree. Outside of Jerusalem, one afternoon, we ponder it for a moment. And we hear, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's where we meet him. Blood running down him. But as we stand there a little bit longer, we begin to hear the roar of a lion standing over his enemies. And as we see the lion and the lamb together in that one picture, we begin to understand there is one who is worthy. There is one who has conquered. There is one who is so wonderful, so approachable, and so powerful all at the same time. What we despise is his humiliation. We now delight in his, as his glory. What we assumed was his defeat has assured his victory. What was our cross has become his coronation. And we see in verses 7 and 8 that there is one worthy. And he went, this lion lamb, and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. It's a bold thing to do, isn't it? Walk right up there to the throne of thrones, take something out of the right, right hand. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders who were before the throne fall down before who? The Lamb. And each one of them is holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, including prayers tomorrow night at 7 p.m. here. 
The scene itself represents a dramatic shift in redemption history. The elders in heaven sense a shift too. And they suddenly fall down in worship. And what's the first thing out of their mouth? A new song. God's end time purposes are sealed no more. They are sealed no more because one worthy has come and he has conquered through his own death. And what's beginning to unfold after that and advance in our own midst, not by happenstance or randomly or from far away, is that God's purposes that are now in the hand of the King of Kings is being accomplished. The same one who accomplishes God's purposes is the one now who is unfolding them. And we are in the era of the unfolding. We're living in the unfolding. Because He is worthy, He has accomplished God's purposes, He has approached the throne of heaven, He is now the one who is unfolding those purposes. And with that handing over, the song begins. The song begins, and it reverberates within paradise's gates. Revelation 5, 9, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I get chills every time I read it. And they sang a new song. This is where it's beginning in heaven. They see the Lamb. They recognize what happened. They sang a new song. They can see. They can see it, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. They can see it, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And what we recognize is that worship is Christ's due. It's His guarantee by right. When you're, when you're born into royalty, you, you get certain things, right? You're, you're just guaranteed that. Christ eternally, eternally begotten, that never a moment we didn't exist and has all of this by his due. He didn't need to come here. He didn't need to suffer and die. He didn't need to lift a finger for all of this to come to him. Heaven would still bow before him in complete adoration, and we would still bow before him in complete submission. So why does he come? Why did he do what he didn't have to do? He came because he loves us. He came to bring his people home. He's on a mission. He's on a mission. He's on a mission in your life. He's on a mission in your family. He's on a mission in this church. And he's on a mission in this world. That's why he came. He shed his own blood to secure it. And as we recognize that, it fills our own hearts and mouths with a new song, doesn't it? Fills our own. Knowing that He came for you and me. Now His worth is not just generally, His worth is the desire of our hearts. And we want others, everyone, to know this precious Jesus. We become a little bit more, we get a glimpse of what these elders knew. And we become more like them, don't we? We become a lot more like him. We say, people have to know. People have to hear. People need to join in this song too. That's, that's what we want. That's our heartbeat. That's our desire. 
That's the, what's going behind this mission is worship. That's what it is because we see him. And we want others to see him too. And verse 10 spells out our role in all of this. All those people from all those nations, you have made them, that's us, into a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. It's our job. Kingdom and priests, and they shall reign on the earth. Originally a reference to the privileged status and mission that Israel inherited after God delivered them from their slavery in Egypt. They were to serve as a beacon. They were to become the one that drew the nations in to the true and living God. That He was in their midst, the Holy One in your midst, right? They were, they were to draw the nations to them. It's a mission they never quite understood. But now, after God's infinitely greater act of deliverance, what we just saw and, and talked about, we have inherited an infinitely more precious mission. We no longer draw the nations in. We go to the nations, including the people who live and work right here in Seguin, including them. And notice something very unique about this reference. There's an aspect in that last phrase, they shall reign, that we want to talk about. It can be read as only a reference to the future, which it, it includes that looking to the day when the saints reign in a new heavens and a new earth. But in the original, the present also seems to be in view here. You can almost read this to say, you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they are, present tense, reigning on the earth. If there was ever a realization we needed right now, this would be it. When we join in the mission to see Christ worshipped, we are reigning on earth. We are reigning on earth. The churches who received this letter probably had a hard time believing that. Probably had a hard time, all right? On the surface, that doesn't appear the case at all, right? We, we are under duress here. What do you mean we are reigning right now? Have you heard what's going on in Asia Minor? Have you heard some of the persecution and, and the things we're dealing with? We have zero political clout. We have little wealth. A lot of us have to meet in hiding. What is it? How in the world is that reigning? Looks like the exact opposite of reigning, right? But that's exactly the kind of foggy perspective and discouraged spirit that Revelation was meant to dispel with. It was written so we could be emboldened in the midst of the strife that we are, current tense, reigning on earth. But the question comes in what way are we reigning? We aren't reigning physically, and that day is coming, certainly. Then how are we? We know this passage well, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the commission, the mission that Jesus handed us. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Guess where that happened? When the right hand handed him the scroll. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's not, just a, it's not just a nice phrase to talk about missions. It's a reality, eternal reality. You live in a world right now where all authority in heaven and on earth, not just on, in heaven, it's easy for me to think, oh yeah, well, all authority in heaven. All authority on earth. Read the newspaper. See what's going on. 
All authority on earth has been handed to me, the Lord Jesus says. So what's our mission in light of that? Go, therefore. The scroll's been handed to me. I get to unfold God's purposes. And church, here's your role in that unfolding. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see the nations again? The same nations that were referenced in this text. See the merging of how that works together in our own mission? Christ's present authority is being exercised on earth when we as the church fulfill our commission. That's how we're reigning. So when we go and make disciples, and we don't do so in our own strength, but keenly dependent on His power and presence with us, it's promised, we are reigning on earth. We pause our busy schedule to go across the street and talk with that neighbor with the goal of eventually being able to share the gospel with them, just to, just to get to know them. Or maybe you're pulling in your trash cans and you get a chance to talk to them. That's a royal exercise. It's a royal exercise. Put it in the context. All authority in heaven and on earth been given to me. I have the scroll in my hand. Go and make disciples. You walk across the street. Guess what that represents? Part of the unfolding. Part of the unfolding. You jump into kids and youth ministry. You tell that next generation about Jesus and how he is worthy and how he is the lion and how he is the lamb. You are administering Christ's will on earth. The next generation seeing his glory. You obey the Spirit's prompting and you're that odd person in the grocery store that walks up and talks to somebody. You ever had that experience? You just have this strong urge, I need to go talk to them. I need to go pray for them. I need to, I need to share the gospel with them. You ever had that voice, you need to go talk to them. And I'll have an argument in the grocery store with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going, I don't want to be, I don't look weird. Be weird. You are reigning on earth. Go talk to them. They don't know. They may not know who's worthy. Three and a half, if, if statistics are to be believed, three and a half billion people on the face of this earth have no idea that there is someone who is worthy. That includes people who live in this community. Listen, the overwhelming majority of this community doesn't really know who Jesus is. We're in the Bible Belt, and the roads are empty on Sunday morning, right? How long did it take you to get here? Not long. Why? The roads are wide open. Why has Christ commissioned and placed us here? Why is he called and placed Christ Church in Conroe? To talk about the one who is worthy. And we know that he has purchased people from every people group in this globe, including people group that lives right around us. Brothers and sisters, we go because this world is lost. And we go because he is worthy. And you say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a missionary. Well, this kingdom of priests needs software engineers 
and moms and grandmothers and educators and construction workers and medical field workers. We need shy people. We need outgoing people. We need generosity. We need hospitality. We need prayer warriors. We need community builders. We need those who can invite a friend over to watch the game. We need those who can meet and disciple a new Christian. And just in the basics of the faith, we need you. We are those who have been saved, called, and empowered. Empowered by the one who holds the scroll to be goers. To be goers. That's why we treasure evangelism. That's why we treasure church planting. That's why we treasure our gospel partnership and sovereign grace. Because we exist to go. We go when it's easy. We go when it's hard. We go across the street. We go across the state. We go across the world. We go where and to whom he leads. We go to the hurting. And we go to those who pretend like they have it all together. We go to those who agree with us and to those who despise us. We go in weakness And we go in absolute strength. Because we know the tears of John. And we go because we have heard and seen the song of heaven, haven't we? It's come down. And our mission is going to be completed. There's no if and or buts about it. Just when. Because we go knowing that the purposes are going to be unfolded. He who began a good work is going to carry it all the way. This is the outcome of our mission. This is what keeps us going. Because we know these purposes are going to be fulfilled. Look at verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. Now we've seen this before, right? We've seen this before. Before it was in heaven, right? The song was in heaven. The end time purposes have been unfurled. The church has been sent out. And what happens next? It doesn't stay in heaven, does it? The reverberations don't stay in heaven. Somebody told him who he is. Somebody shared with him the lion and the lamb. And now, he says, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, maybe your neighbors in this number, maybe your family member in this number, maybe that one that you think there's no way they will ever respond to Christ in this number. John says, I've seen them. I've seen the scene. And they're there. Thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might 
and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is why we go. This is why we go. What a joy it will be to be among those, and to be a part of others who are worshiping the Lamb who was slain. What a joy to be a part of that coming true in the beginning of 2023 in a mundane week that you have in front of you. This infuses that week with a jolt of heavenly reality and joy, right? Purpose. Why are you in that office? Maybe you moved because you needed a new job. Why are you in that house? God has a purpose. He put, why, why did he put LifeGate here? Not three miles that way. God has a purpose. To see this come true. What a joy it is to link arms and do this together. We go. We are those who go. We're here. We see. And we go. The word is what draws us in. The word is what sends us out. We are those who go. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a gift it is to know your plan ahead of time. To see it all unveiled right there for us to read about and to be encouraged and strengthened, challenged, convicted. Lord, to delight in. Lord, I pray that the revelation of Jesus Christ would linger in our hearts and our minds for a long time in this afternoon and this week to come. I pray, Lord, just His beauty that he is worthy, that, that that song would just resonate with us as we walk out these doors. But I, I pray that it would bring such a current uh, encouragement and strengthening in, for those who particularly need it today. And Lord, I pray that we would have the opportunity even this week to tell someone of who you are. And that you, Lord Jesus, shed your own blood for their soul. So they too can join in this song. And you can receive all the glory. I pray a Holy Spirit outpouring on this sister church so dear to us. There'd be a fresh awe. Awareness, Lord Jesus, of you, your authority, your power, your presence, and your love. And help us to go in that glory to a lost and dying world. We pray this in your holy name. And we look for your return. In Jesus' name.
Amen.